Dark Art Society podcast covers a variety of important and contemporary issues, including dark art, as well as other kinds of art, literature, film, music, also culture, philosophy, dreams, paranormal experiences, magic, and a whole lot more than that. I'm Mike Carell, director of Chet's Art. I like to paint monsters. And you are listening to the Dark Art Society podcast, hosted by renowned artist Chet Zar. What's up, Mike? Hey, Chet. How are you? Another day. Another day, another dollar. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't made a dollar today, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but I understand your euphemism. Yes. I think we got like a uh, dollar patron on the Dark Art Society. We've been getting a pretty steady, regular flow. Yeah, of, yeah. Suddenly. Uh, we, we did yeah, have one cancellation that I saw today. Oh, yeah. Um, but aside from that, yeah, it's been steady forward progress. Yeah, the emails, even though you kind of deal with that Patreon page, the uh, emails come to me, so I'm getting all these notifications that there's new new people subscribing. So that's really cool. Right. Thank yeah. you, people who have subscribed. Yes, absolutely. We very much appreciate it. In fact, maybe I should just read off their names right now ah. so I don't forget at the end of the episode. Dun, da, da, da. And we got to do your synesthesia word of the week. Oh, so, yeah, I got some good ones. First of all, and are I we going to talk? Sorry, are we, are we also going to talk about uh, what we talked about? Yeah, the rewards. I would yeah. like to if you're cool okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we're going to start off thanking these people uh, Melissa Mari and Colin Davis of Thank the O1 you. Experience. Chris Haas. What's up, Chris? Joined us. So Thank exciting you. to have Chris. Kelly Lynn. Thank and you. And John, John Hyde. Thank you. And there are actually a couple more that have uh, also joined, but I'm going to save them for next week because they are not on this current list. So thank you all anyway, and we very much appreciate it. And it is totally helping us to get closer to that $1,000 mark and the website. But yeah. in the meantime. And the shirts. Yes, and the shirts. The shirts are, are coming soon. Yeah, we've got uh, Josh Geyser has been doing a bunch of work for us, not only on the logo for the Dark Arts Society and the T-shirts, but also he's been helping with Discord. And that was one of the things Chet and I want to discuss. We set up a group of test members. It was equally female and male, small group of people to see if Discord was working properly on the Dark Arts Society server. And it is. So we are going to be attaching that to the $3 reward tier. And I'm going to build it in in such a fashion. Well, it's already built in because of Josh Kaiser. But I will set it up in such a fashion that when you're at that tier, you have access to a role within that group. And basically, Discord is now I've discovered from using it for the past 24 hours during this test that it's really fun. It's basically there's like a general group where you can kind of everyone chats about whatever. But then there's different channels that you can go to. And you can I have like a project development channel and a marketing channel and uh, upcoming shows channel. And so there's different threads you can talk on. It's like an old school kind of a bulletin board but everyone yeah. talks there's voice chat there's all kinds of cool stuff so it's gonna oh, be a great voice chat yeah oh, yeah what a trip you there's know even video chat too what'll be cool will be um to do a uh, an episode where we're just telling tell everybody to be on discord yeah and, yeah and the discord people just give us the question so it could be like a live q a type thing that'd be great wouldn't you it know? yeah so yeah let's do that maybe we could do that for the next episode yeah, that'd be sweet. So that's so that's a new thing. And then also we, we've been working on recording these early so that we can and working with Brian Kilgore, our amazing mixing and mastering yes. musical master. And he is going to help us to have these prepared early. And, so and he's got the perfect name, Kilgore. Yeah, Kilgore. <laughs> so 
This will be added to the $1 reward tier. So everyone that's already at the $1 reward tier will be able to listen to the Dark Art Society podcast a day early. Now, I'm just going to say this now. There may be circumstances that push it to a Wednesday. We might not always get it a day early, but our goal in recording on Fridays and working with Brian, and he's always on the ball, is to have these ready for the Dark Art Society members, all of them, from $1 and up. If you are a member, you'll get to listen to it. Yeah, so that's cool. So now, yeah, everyone will get it a day early. The people that are willing to pay a dollar a month for it, that seems like a fair trade. And get their yeah. names, right? And, and, yeah, we'll and get their names. Get their names. And then, um, yeah, well, and so that's cool. to the group, to the secret cooperative group on right. Facebook, just thriving. And now, if you're at the $3 level, you'll also be able to get in the Discord group, which is also thriving. Yeah, that, and that might end up being, you know, if enough people get on it, it's going to end up being like its own thing, like the Facebook pages. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? Well, and it's, and it's more, I mean, again, the way that it's set up is in such a fashion that if someone leaves the dark arts society and is no longer a member, it will automatically remove them from discord. Right. Not like Facebook. I have to go in there and manually do that. Right. Whereas, and so as this gets bigger and the movement develops with things like the retreat, the dark arts society retreat happening on the ground strategy movements and things for this, mm. you know, this project that we're working on. I think that as it gets bigger, it'll be great to have a meeting place that's managed yeah, in yeah, for fashion sure. that it's really inclusive, yeah, you know, yeah. because I can't say I've I've moved everyone out of the group that's left the Dark Arts Society. You know, right. I do the best I can, but it's yeah, kind of, yeah. more of an honor system type situation. Yeah. Well, so, anyways, those are exciting good. developments. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that is exciting. Um, I think we're ready to kind of take this thing to the next level. It's just that our levels are really small, you know. Yeah. But but we are going up levels. So yep. uh, you know, and as as more support comes in, then we'll be able to take bigger leaps, I suppose. But yeah, everything's looking good as far as that goes. So I want to hear your oh, synesthesia word of the week. Okay, I've got a couple. He's got Let's more see. than one. I've got one, two, I have four. Because I, whenever I, now four. I kind of like they pop in my head. Like I hear a word and 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 I somehow, for some reason, think of the flavor. I'm just more aware of it now. So um, yeah, I keep hearing them and then I, and then I write them on this little uh, notepad on my phone. So. Let's see. Okay. All right. Oh, it's hard to choose. Because so they're hard. all strong ones. That's the thing is I'm, I always do very strong ones because I have some words that are not that strong. I have a slight mm -hmm. flavor, but the uh, I only really like to talk about the really strong ones because they're so strong. And for anybody who doesn't know, I have a synesthesia thing where I... Um, words and names have flavors to me in my mind so it's just a stupid thing i do so you ready i don't think it's stupid but yeah I agree. <laughs> it's a weird thing i do okay runt it is atypical oh sorry runt runt tastes like crispy bacon really mm-hmm <laughs> That doesn't have. That's a good one because it has no. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't make no logical sense. correlation. Yeah, yeah. Do you do you remember the flavor of crispy bacon? Yeah, yeah. Did you, you like crispy bacon when you used to eat meat? Yeah, yeah. Oh man, yeah. it's my favorite. Yeah, the bacon. I, was, thing. I would be one of those guys nowadays that's always like bacon, bacon. <laughs> yeah, yeah you right. know, there's like this bacon movement. Bacon I would probably, cult. I would probably be one of those. I would be leading instead of being the leader of the dark arts society. He'd be the leader of the bacon cult. <laughs> But instead of, uh, I, I'm more like, I'm the fuck bacon guy now. 
It's like Dave <laughs> that sounded so wrong and disgusting. <laughs> Reword that, please. No, it's you know what I mean. Dave Sherman uh, made me a shirt that said "fuck bacon." Yeah, that's a double entendre <laughs> that I just don't even want to go that's near. That's just your own perverted mind. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll take that. I mean, when Dave McDowell was on and he was busting our chops, I was just thinking to myself, yeah, that's he's he's got some interesting thoughts about all this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so anyway, let's get on uh, with the show. So today, since we had such a great response to the episode, The Horror, we decided to do a second part to that and really kind of maybe focus it on horror movies. Cause it, we haven't done a horror movie. <laughs> we haven't done a horror movie one, right? Not specifically. No. Yeah, because that seems like sort of obvious that we should have done one by now. So, well, we haven't. So yeah, we'll, we'll, <laughs> it's you know we'll we'll talk about um, the horror and horror movies and our favorite horror movies because we're both pretty um, you know knowledgeable on horror films. We are in our own right because we both come from different generations. You know. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, let me start. Let me start yeah. with up. my favorite horror movie of all time. And it's going to be the one you say every time. Everybody, yeah, everybody knows this, <laughs> but I've never really gotten a chance to talk to talk about it like it deserves to be talked about. And right. that, that, of course, is Night of the Living Dead from 1968, I believe. It's like a low budget horror movie that was made for $100,000. And it was just these dudes in Pittsburgh who put their money together and got their friends to invest and uh, just made it on weekends. Like George Romero, the director was, he owned a, uh, what was it? An, an advertising company, like a commercial video, not video, commercial film company where they hmm, fil okay. film and uh, edit TV commercials, beer commercials and stuff. And oh, okay. so they had the equipment <clears throat> to make a movie. Uh, I see. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and so they make this movie, and it was completely so shocking at the time that really there's, as far as horror movies, I think there's before and after Night of the Living Dead. It's It was yeah, so yeah. different. Like, up to then, horror was either kind of like, you know, respect semi-respectable gothic horror, like Frankenstein and Dracula and stuff like that, which are great and creepy, but they weren't, you know, shocking like that. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and then like B B horror and sci-fi and I was a teenage Frankenstein and just like so much bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Schlock. So, yeah. And so and so then out comes this, you know, the first really uh uh modern zombie movie. And uh it was shown with mostly like kiddie horror films, like regular B movies like Teenage Frankenstein and okay, uh, you know cheesy sp space alien movies. That so kid, it's probably really disturbing. Yeah, that we're going there for that. <laughs> well, and those are like kids. Parents used to take their kids and and uh, for matinee shows with these be cheesy movies, and the kids would be all sure. yelling and running around. And then Night of the Living Dead was stuck in there, and it's so shocking because you know they'd never shown anything like uh, a a zombie girl eating her mother, which doesn't sound like a big deal now, but if you put it in the context, it was completely shocking and eating, yeah. no, killing her mother with a spade and then eating her dad. And um, just uh, the, the, they showed, you know, people eating guts 
for the first right. time, you know, and, and that's like really pushing the envelope. Yeah, like you said, yeah. if you look at it culturally and you really think about what was happening in film at that, at that time, because if you don't put it into context, oh, yeah. it's hard to really context, appreciate that. Context yeah. is everything. And there's a great review from, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, from Roger Ebert mm-hmm. when he, he went to go see it. Let me see what it says. Let me find it. Uh, now, in, just answer me this. In 1968, we had color film, correct? Yeah, no, they did it black and white, I think. I mean, I know they shot it black and white, but that was a choice, right? Yeah. I mean, they could have yeah, shot it in color yeah. in 68. I'm not wrong about that, I don't think. Yeah, no, no. I think they. it, it may have been like a, a budget. I'm not sure if it was a budgetary thing or it was an arty kind of thing. Because I think it was an arty thing, actually, because he was, George Romero was like, all into like Bergman films and, you know, older okay, yeah. kind of art films. And um, mm-hmm. so I think it was an intentional. See, here's the thing about black and white, about man. That. Like, here's the thing about black and white. And I think part of the reason why it actually, and, and this is something, you know, I always drive this nail, but it's so true for me. And I think it's true in general, if you study film is that, the reason why black and white is so emotive in that fashion is because it really does help a person to suspend their disbelief. And it's because of the ambiguity. You know, when you can see color, you can your mind is not able to fill in the gaps and the details. Whereas when it's black and white, your mind is actually having to color it effectively. Right. You know? yeah, yeah. And so it's all really leaves it in this, you know, all in these tones of gray, mm-hmm. which is really edgy and uncomfortable now and then. And so you know, you even look at films like Psycho and, and these other black and white films that, that were made in this fashion. The reality of that is that I think that showing less meant more. And that's why it's scarier, because you're having to paint in the, the, the real gory details, even though you're seeing a shade of what they might actually be. And it's a little more terrifying because you're right. personally vested in it, you know? Yeah. And it, it also gave it this gritty documentary style feeling, sure. too, which makes like it, TV. it. Yeah, it really seemed realistic compared to other horror movies at the time like i said there were the you know plan nine from outer space and just crap cardboard sets and all that and right. so this had such a realistic feel to it and I, that's really what got me you know and uh something about the zombie i mean the first zombie you see in, in the film is just like the classic best zombie ever pretty much yeah, yeah. you know he's so creepy and so cool and uh it just really uh scared me but Okay, I found this um, this uh, Ebert. Ebert, yeah, interview. Okay, he's talking about the film and how the kids were all kind of running around and laughing, at, up to a point, and then they got to a point. Uh, you mean the people in the audience? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. And, um, uh, by the end of it, it says the kids in the audience were stunned. There was almost complete silence. The movie had stopped being delightfully scary about halfway through and had become unexpectedly terrifying. There was a little girl across from the aisle for me, maybe nine years old, who was sitting very still in her seat and crying. I don't think the younger kids really knew what hit them. They were used to going to movies, sure, but they'd seen some horror movies before, sure, but this was something else. This was ghouls eating people up, and you could actually see what they were eating. This was little girls killing their mothers. This was being set on fire. Worst of all, even the hero got killed. <laughs> so it's like it was it's like a heavy, serious movie. It's not there's no comedy in it really at all that I could think of. It's like very serious and really dark. 
And so, you know, it was a game changer for horror movies. You know, really, yeah, it's like, yeah. I think, I think, uh, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and and that those films in the seventies owe a lot to that because they have that grainy, uh, kind of realistic feel to them. You know, sure, sure, and, and also pushing nowadays, the envelope of like horror, basically. You know, really. Yeah, you can't have one without the other. I mean, it, you know, even if you were to say that that, you know, that particular filmmaker or that particular production company wasn't directly influenced by the film, you can't not be influenced by those kinds of things happening filmically and culturally at any given point in time because it is all part and parcel with the evolution of that that genre, that right. medium and that art form, you know what I mean? So, it's it's interesting because I think of like when I think of movies that really kind of rocked me that when I was young was like I think of, uh, you know, films like Rosemary's Baby, you know, and 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 that movie was like, you know, a great film, but also just ultra unsettling. You know what I mean? And and, and really the great movie. Yeah. And the reveal, it's all very psychological. And I think that's really where my addiction to psychological thrillers began, because. You know, it's they're not showing you much. They're implying a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's really more in the dramatic action of those yeah. implications because, the, the you know, the really the big reveals are, are, are few and far between. And they're sparsed far towards the end of the film, ultimately, you know. Yeah, and yeah. so it's really, uh, I think, a, a fascinating piece of work that for me as a young person, I remember that movie being like, whoa, what? You know, and I, I came upon it. You know, I obviously been made way before I was born. And so I came upon it as, let's say, maybe, I don't know, a Mm 12-year-old. And so... I w- started watching it thinking like I, at that age, I was kind of like old movies suck. Right. You know what I mean? Like I <laughs> yeah. think maybe a lot of 12 year olds oh, feel yeah, that definitely. way. It's like, eh, it's an old movie. Who cares? You know, it's like yeah. old people wearing old clothes, you know, but I gave it a chance. And I remember being shocked when I finished it. Like I really liked a movie that was old. Like that was like yeah. part of my, you know, and the, and the reason I liked it was because it was this amazing tale of horror. You know what I right. mean? And, and this cult and this manipulation of this person. Yeah, it's to super the creepy. Offspring of Satan. You it's know what super, I mean? It's super just, creepy and like done in a serious way that wasn't cheesy either. That That's one of the cool things about it is, is, is it, is it seemed kind of plausible you know, it wasn't like you could believe that something like that could happen, whether it was true or not. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you could yeah. see people, you know, kind of being like that. Well, and that strikes back to that kind of like suspension of disbelief factor, you know. And for me, I don't get me wrong. Everyone likes to watch a cheesy gore oh, yeah, show sure. here and there. But what I what turns me on, what gets me inspired both creatively as well as emotionally is you know, the intensity of good storytelling and more what's implied and less what's shown. Yeah, I never thought I would be that guy. Like when I was a kid, I was like, no, that's bullshit. You got to show it. You got to reveal the creature at the end. You know, right. I, I thought that that was lame when they did that. And now when you get older, you realize, oh, no, that is better. Actually, it's way you yeah. know, creepier. And just like that, uh, the, the, another one that um, I'm reminded of now is The Haunting from the 60s uh you know that one the name sounds familiar but you don't give me more more information i'm sure i've seen it the best ghost movie haunted house movie probably ever i think it's it's like about these uh, it's been a long time since i've seen it but it's there's um a group of people that get together in this haunted house and uh, you know uh paranormal guy and a scientist and you know like a group of people like that have to spend the night in this house 
and the house is kind of it's like the house is haunted but the house is alive too but there's okay. but the, it's that might be like the same kind same thing really yeah right right but um it's it's black and white as well but it, it is really scary i mean i need to watch it now i wonder how i'd feel about it now but um yeah it's but the thing is the scary stuff is the sounds that the ghosts make it's like the okay. creepiest coolest ghost sound never matched i don't think nice. i think it's so creepy it's like stuff like like you'll hear just like like mumbling like someone's saying uh, something but you can't understand it it's like so fucking creepy and that's so pretty creepy so right on to you know the kind of bizarre creepiness that ghost stuff actually is sort of in yeah, reality yeah. if you've had a weird yeah. experience it's it's twisted like that and right. um not what you'd expect you know and so there's a lot of that and there's a lot of just like they'll be sitting in the bedroom and just really loud banging on the door like boom 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 like out of nowhere uh -huh. and then just like silence and they're all freaked out and then just boom boom you know just like this loud pounding that echoes through the house and it's oh it's just really creepy because you feel the force of of a physical thing hitting the door but all you're seeing is the door and they're yeah, like yeah. zooming slowly in on the door and uh, -huh. uh and stuff like that and um there's like you know like the faces in the woodwork and stuff and but not obvious like they actually it seemed like you know maybe they um found the faces that naturally existed and, and highlighted them so oh, it's okay. like this creepy they keep showing faces that are in in things and there's a really creepy stone uh i think like a statue garden outside it's just very uh -huh. very creepy but there's the classic you have to see this movie. I can't believe you haven't seen it, or yeah, I can't believe I, you don't re, you don't remember it because it doesn't it's, sound well. You know me; I have a pretty good memory. So yeah, and, and the movie it's based on a book by Shirley Jackson. It's like a classic uh, book, you know. The, okay, ha the haunting of Hill House. I think it's called. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> but but there's just the class. You know, we're just talking about minimalism and, and scariness, and sure. you know, the thing that scared me. It's kind of a spoiler, so. If, you can not you can fast forward for a couple seconds <laughs> yeah right it's you know it's it's still worth watching but uh, anyway it's like these two women are in a bed and, and the pounding and stuff is happening and then they're in pitch blackness and one of them goes oh your hand is so cold it's just a black screen uh, oh your hand is so cold Oh, you're squeezing too tight. You're squeezing my hand too tight. And then this, the the other one at that moment turns is turns the light on from across the room. So she's standing ah, nice. there when the light comes on, like all the way across the room. So it's like instantly you're like, oh my god, it's just so well done and and super yeah, yeah. creepy, but showed nothing. But it was so mm -hmm. clever. It was still crafted to be scary without just doing the obvious thing, you know. And it's yeah, way more powerful yeah. because of it. Well, and you know, I think a lot of the time what is jarring and stirring to us is the, you know, obviously the unexpected, but also the, the, um, indescribable or, or the uninterpretable. Yeah. And what I kind of, what I kind of mean by that is like, you know, it's one thing to, mm -hmm. to be given this thing to look at. It's another thing to have this visual dialogue where 
you're having to make mental leaps yeah, in order yeah. to fill in those details. And it creates a level of engagement where there really is kind of a back and forth occurring between this film and these individuals, right. uh, you know, that are watching it. And to be able to balance that, right, is it, that's mm-hmm. that's the genius, you yeah. know, and that's really you can't put that's like that when you talk about uh, with art, the magic, the thing, you right, know, right. when it comes to filmmaking, that's that where it's like sometimes I, you know, some of the things that really scare me just to jump forward a little bit, but this ties into the conversation is one film that really struck me is a Korean film called A Tale of Two Sisters. And I don't know if you've seen I that seen or that not. One. No. God, it's such a good film. We we actually kept it when we got rid of all our DVDs because it's just, it was one of those tartan Asian extreme ones from right. the mid 2000s, early 2000s. And it is so good. And one of the creepiest scenes in that, and again, it's not even integral to the plot, which it's a great psychological thriller as well. And it's, it's also minimalistic. But there is this scene where these people are sitting around this dinner table and all of a sudden you you realize, and I don't remember through it, there's this real tense conversation going on. They're kind of building the drama and the sense of kind of like dramatic action between yeah. the characters. And it was a real uncomfortable scene where it was like family members had come over, you know, and no one was comfortable with each other. And they're all sitting around this table. And at a given point in time, you see they show you that there's this girl underneath somehow the cabinetry that's behind the table and it's like where the dishwasher and sink Uh, and stuff would be and there's kind of a gap along the bottom and they don't really show it to you hardcore first you just kind of pick up this movement and there's these eyes peering out of this girl's uh, face underneath it and it's so disturbing because it's like and I think the reason, again, is it comes back down to that kind of nonsensical word. It's like, it's not just yeah, unexpected. It's like the bizarre. It's like, it you know? doesn't make sense. Yeah, and so yeah. it catches you so off guard and it puts you out of your comfort zone because your mind's trying to inventory oh, yeah. it well, and make sense out of it. Yeah, you know? well, how could that be? What does this to do with what's going on yeah, here? A perfect example of that is Jacob's Ladder. You know, that's oh, yeah. like the, the classic coup de grace. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And, uh, uh, you know, they and even though they they ripped off Joel Peter Witkin, the photographer, yes. um, which is kind of lame, but they really did a good job with it. So it's kind they of did. kind of redeeming in that way because it's just so you know people that there's people that are are either into Jacob's Ladder or they're not, and yeah, the people that yeah. are into it are like really uh, find that kind of horror really scary you know when it and that's that's about not seeing everything and sure and you know weird movements just subtle things like that you know like yeah. that face in the car oh you know, yeah as the car drives by or in the bus or the subway or whatever it's like a lot of those it looked like a guy with just a nylon over his head or something was, and no yeah, eyes just look, super yeah, simple but man the way it's shot is so creepy Oh, Dude, the, super you know, when I saw that movie, that's I'm glad you brought that film up because for me, that really is like if I was to do a top five kind of deal, that mm. would absolutely be yeah. at the top of the three. It's in the three, you know, right. and the thing is, is that I was in sixth grade and I had just moved to like a new area. And, and when I, I've told you this before, but when I was in sixth grade, you know, like you, that was the top grade for that set of grades. Right. And I went to a brand new school and I didn't know anybody. And I met this kid, Justin, who was from California. I mentioned this to you the other yeah. day when we were chatting and he was the super cool guy. And we really hit it off because he was new too. And it was like your last year where you're supposed to be like the top dog of school, but you're right. transplants. So you're kind of like, who the <laughs> fuck are these guys? You know? So we palled up and I remember I got to go over and stay the night at his house a lot and he would he his parents had like all the cable and all the movies and they just kind of didn't really watch us yeah and so 
you know, they were busy. They were nice people, but they're busy. They weren't like my parents. So we could watch whatever we wanted, stay up as late as we wanted. And I remember we started watching Jacob's Ladder at like, I don't know, two in the morning one night. And I'm like, Perfect sixth time. grade. Yeah. And Justin, he falls asleep. He crashes out on the couch. But I stayed up until the sun came up watching this. And it was like, you know, were commercials, but it was still on TV. It's like weird pay-per-view kind of yeah, deal where weird. it was like it wasn't it wasn't edited or anything. It was the whole movie, but there were commercials between yeah. things. So it made it like a really long film. Right. I remember it being like three hours or something. Anyway, I watched this by myself at my friend's house, staying the night. And I remember like feeling changed. Like I remember like after <laughs> it was over being like, whoa, like yeah. that just opened my mind in ways that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because you don't, unless you're exposed to that kind that level of, of bizarre intensity and also the thematic aspects and the way that they wove in the Vietnam stuff and the yeah. psychedelic testing drugs yeah. on soldiers and also this ascension to heaven through the process of enlightenment and getting through hell. I mean, it's such yeah, a multifaceted yeah, yeah. film that you could just keep watching it for the rest of your life and probably get new stuff every single time yeah. and not be disappointed, certainly. I just read an article. They had like a re-release of it within the past couple of years, I think, oh, okay. on Blu-ray or something. So there were there were some promotional articles I saw out there. And one was by the um, the author uh, who of the script. I okay. forget his name, but it's like it's funny because he's like a Buddhist mm-hmm. and he's um, – he's had a, 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 a mystical experience before. Uh-huh. So he's like, and he's totally into spirit spirituality. He's like completely like, you know, you'd think a Buddhist hippie or, you know, New York guy or something. And, right. um, and it's funny because there's so much of that, um, uh, uh, you know, kind of spiritual philosophy in that movie too. Absolutely. You know, like with the chiropractor and the, uh, yep. Meister, yeah, the Meister Eckert quote, which is like so yeah. profound, and and um, it's cool that it had you know super scary stuff and also like spiritual stuff. It's very much like a dark art film in a way, in that way, you know what I mean? Well, and it was grounded also. Yeah, I totally know what you mean. And it was also grounded in this kind of notion, this subtext of this conspiracy that revolved around Vietnam and, and what, you know, I mean, really what a great way to ground it. It's kind of what I would akin to like your monster smoking cigarettes and having guns. It's a way that they are grounded in this world. You know, that was the grounding. That was your way that you could actually watch the film and buy the ticket to take the ride and believe, oh, okay, this is about this thing. And mm-hmm. then as you get deeper, you start to realize, whoa, 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 this is about all kinds of other, what oh, yeah. is this about? You <laughs> yeah. know? And, and so, but I mean, they, they don't ever lose that thread. And so you always kind of get to come back to it. Yeah, and yeah. get that and, and sensation of what's going on with that, that base storyline. Yeah, and, and it allows your viewers to grab on where it appeals to them and hits them the most directly. Yeah. And the conspiracy angle too grabs uh, or uh, like kind of uh, adds to another level of creepiness, you know, yeah. cause, and it, and it's the, the cool, real life the, horror. Yeah. The thing, and the thing I love so much that really one of the biggest, most powerful things about it to me, I just, just now thought of it is the way, and this relates to my artwork as well. The way mm-hmm. that, um, these like they're CIA guys or whatever they're supposed to be. You think that they're kind of CIA guys, but then they're, they're demons too. Yeah. And it's the idea that these, got these people are demons but they're driving around in like a you know a shitty nova or whatever like a cop right. car yeah know, unmarked cop car it's so such a creepy idea and that's really that really is the 
the kind of thing I try to capture in my paintings with the cigarettes and the guns and just kind of this, sure. you know, mundane human. But things. there's also a thread there that's consistent. That's above and beyond coincidence because Stephen King has the low men and that's exactly right. what they are. You read the dark tower series or any of those peripheral books, you know, hearts in Atlantis or any of the related books that have to yeah, do with that storyline. You've got these, these, <clears throat> these kind of suit suit dudes with big hats yeah. who are really demons wearing some kind of fake skin or suit that drive around in these old school pimped out cars, you know, and the thing is, is okay. You could say, well, yeah, Stephen King influenced you, you know what I mean? And then, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you, that repetition of that, that yeah. archetype is yeah. so consistent yeah. that if, it really does beg the question. Yeah. If you take that archetype too, you could break, probably break it down to like at the, at the simplest level, because, you know, in, in Jacob's ladder, they're like government people and then, mm-hmm. and the low men in, um, what, which one was that Stephen King book with the low man? The Dark Tower series. Yeah, wasn't that in? They were. It was in a lot of his yeah, books. Yeah, that's Insomnia or something. It was in Insomnia too. Yeah. yeah, but they're but they're but they're so they're not like government type guys. They're like gangster type guys. Yeah, you know, and so some organization that's yeah, powerful that, and dangerous, right? That are demons, but it's like it's it's almost like they're I don't know in a way part of a bureaucracy. Sure, you know, a human. Sure. organization it's just it's but it just, also comes back down to like let's take it a step further like what about the devil's advocate you know there's another film where it's this people with an organization of power these lawyers and they, mm-hmm. they have this you know huge office building but underneath there are these demons right right like it, so again it's like there's this whole or, or even nowadays people talk about the lizard people you know all right. these politicians are really, really wearing human suits there is this notion that is consistent this archetype of this other worldly being that's disguised right. somehow as one of us, right. yeah, you yeah. know, and then that's scary. It scares us. Right. Yeah. Otherwise it wouldn't be woven into so many stories, right, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And then when you take it, like you said, to the Buddhist level, when you're talking about the, the director or the writer rather of the screenplay for Jacob's ladder, you know, that really is taking it now to the next level. It's like, yeah, that's true, but that's part of the illusion too, because the reality is beyond that. You have to get beyond that. The only, as Blake would say, the only way out is through, right. Right. You have to you have to go through this to see the other side. You can't go around it. Right. You know, every attempt to go around will drive you back to the center. Yeah, that's the and, only way to get to it right. <laughs> is yeah. through it. And that's why I think, again, just to, we talked about this. We touched on this last time, but that's kind of barks at why it is that we want to engage in this kind of media and this kind of stuff is because it is like these little le petite morts, these little deaths, these little catharsis where you get to for yeah, a confrontations time, in a way. You yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you get through for a period of time to have this, you know, very much an experience that's vicarious, but emotional because it's right. stirring you emotionally. It's like a ritual in that way. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. It's the same but way then that- you're getting to go through. So it's like, that's what I'm saying is instead of like, okay, this scares me in my real life and I'm not really going to, you know, subject myself to whatever yeah. it is, A, A, B, C, D, snakes, spiders, right, caves, whatever. Right. But if I watch it in a movie, I get to traverse that and come out clean on that other side right, and right, feel right. that sense well, of like, oh, I made yeah, it through. I it, made it through. It, this, well, in the same way, I'm going to relate it to Joseph Campbell because I've been watching yeah, The yeah. Power of Myth. But um, in the same way that ritual in, in religions are this, basically the same thing. They're like a vicarious representation of an experience. And it, and it's and you're, you're acting out the experience through ritual. But that is giving you a kind of experience that you need 
you know? Yes. So it's because it's speaking to you on a vibrational level and on a frequency right, right. level. So, but so that, you, you know, you could almost say that, um, or make the case that horror movies are like that, how the ritual that we do mm-hmm, to, to mm-hmm. face our demons and our fears and, and make it through, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, but it's interesting too, that it seems that there are certain people that have are compelled towards right. that and have a proclivity towards it at such a young age that you, you wonder what predisposes them to that versus right. other people, right. you know, cause like, right. cause I was very much attracted to scary, violent, you know, gory, horrific things from a very young age. And, and, and like you've, you've said before, aesthetically, like, and, and wanted, like wanting to consume lots of it. Right. And I know that that was a reaction to my nightmares. You know right. what I mean? was like, oh, well, I'll deal with it in my waking state. I'll be more prepared to handle this shit when it happens later. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. And so it's a, it's like a, it's like a coping mechanism really yeah, yeah, <laughs> for yeah. dealing with trauma. Right. <laughs> that's yeah. That's definitely one. Uh, I think one way it manifests. Uh, one last thing sure, about Jacob's absolutely. Ladder before we move on to something else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the one criticism I heard about that movie, and it's interesting because I could see both sides of it, and I sort of agree with it, I think, more than not. And um, I won't give away the ending, but um, the inclusion of the final text at the very end, do you remember that? No, that isn't. The, the big, I, I mean, I remember the scene at the end, but I don't right, remember okay. the text. So there's the scene... And then there's text that says um, it's been documented that throughout, you know, these years, the government experimented with. Oh, okay, I remember that now. Yeah. So kind of like yeah. a, like a, I don't know, like here, you know, for you dummies, here's what the movie was about. Sort of, <laughs> right. Or this is, you know, here's why this movie is actually an interpretation. Kind of, what's that? I said, we're going to spoon feed you an yeah, interpretation. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it kind of did feel like that. And it was, and the ending without that really is powerful. Oh, yeah. when you, especially when you realize that at the end, it's yeah, like, wow. Yeah, it's yeah. So no, amazing. I mean, I can, okay. Yeah. I'll give it. I'll, I'll take so, that. So I, that's I, I the only that's criticism. Yeah. That's so that's the only criticism I've, I've really heard about that movie. But anyway, um, you know, we talked about uh, the exorcist on the last show. We did, you know, and uh, we both, that was a formative one for both of us as as well. And that, that, that one was cool too, because it was like, it was like the Blair Witch Project. There was a buzz about it. Yeah. You know, even amongst us little kids, like it's the scariest movie ever. And, and you know, you just, your mind is working overtime. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, I got those, I got that famous monsters magazine and saw those drawings because they weren't releasing pictures. So they had an artist go to a screening and draw pictures of, of Reagan possessed. And it was like just seeing that kept me up at night, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and part well, of that know, was the hype because it's like you, you know, it's scary. And when you're young, it's like that could mean anything, you know. When yeah. you're old, you kind of like there's there's only kind of a certain amount of horror that, that you can kind of go, okay, that could be that, that, that. Sure. But sure. for little kids, it's just like an open, you know, open ended thing. So that just makes them even more afraid. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think you're right. I mean, when I, it's weird. I wonder what it was like for you as a kid. Cause for me as a kid, like going and seeing, I didn't go to see a lot of movies because I was from the eighties. So it was like, we were, we had beta, you know, and then eventually there was VHS, but it was beta at first. Yeah. So my experience of getting to like, get a, a taste of horror movies and, and, and get a feel for that, that artwork too, was like, we would go to good guys video. That was the name of the place. Mm-hmm. Good guys video. And we drive there with my family. And I was like a little kid and we'd get 
to go in and then my parents would let us loose and we would just go off and wander around and we would each get to like pick a movie, you know, and then pander to our parents and they would go. And this was like every week, just ritual. It was every Friday night, always like that, sometimes Friday and Saturday. And so for me, a big part of the excitement was like getting to go to good guys, you know, (laughs) and like go inside and the smell of it. I remember the smell of it and like getting to look at all the art and like go to the horror section because I could, you know, and like pick up them and look at the back and read them and look at all the just creepy, gory horror shit. I try to pick one that I wanted to watch and then see if my parents were actually going to let me watch yeah. it, you know? And I remember this is so funny now, and I don't think I've ever even seen these movies now that as an adult ever, and I never got to see, well, here's the whole story. So ghoulies, right? The <laughs> yeah. ghoulies movies were out. And I remember I, I walked up and I, I don't remember which one it was, but I saw the cover and I was like, Oh my God, this may be the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like I, for whatever reason, that moment in my eight year old mind, That's that was hilarious. like the tits. Right. Yeah. And I was like, mom and dad, please let me get it. Please let me get it. Please. You know? And they were like, ah, Mike, you're, Oh, it was the one where he's sticking out of the toilet yeah. or something. You know? <laughs> and like, my parents were like, Mike, I don't think this is, you know, you should, you're going to get scared and, you know, trying to play kid. But I, I was like, no insistence. So they said, okay, they're going to let me watch it. So we went home and they put it in. And I remember it was like, somehow at like a, like a, at a, a circus and there was like a haunted house. Mm-hmm. Somehow the ghoulies were like going awry on this haunted house set. I don't know, but I remember I, I really didn't make it far at all and totally got terrified. And really? it was like, I don't, yeah. And it's so weird because I watched, I, you know, my dad let me read the book pet cemetery by Stephen King when I was in the fourth grade. So it's not like I couldn't handle intense stuff yeah. or that I hadn't been There's exposed to something about those crazy. little creatures. Dude, something freaked me out as a kid. And, and the funny thing, thing is I I never have consumed that really that type of film since I've been oh my God, older. You watch so it I don't think it's supposed to be any good. I, you know, like they're probably terrible. Huh? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> it's like super cheesy, super low budget. Why would that have scared me? You, know, I, you gotta wonder what it was. It's yeah, something about you know the little creatures. Maybe maybe they're they were small. I mean, I had that reaction to the original "Don't Be Afraid of the Dark," which was. Um, did, have you ever seen the original, like from the seventies? It's a made-for-TV movie. It's, Mm-mm. I mean, I have to see it now because it probably will be really cheesy. But it was, <laughs> was one of those, definitely one of those super creepy uh, movies that had an effect on me. And it, I know Guillermo it had an effect on him, like oh, okay. where I think you know close to the same age, and um, that's why you know he got that movie made, the remake done, and I got to work on it. But um, right. it's. Uh, you know, the, there's these little demons living in this woman's house and, um, that it's like their suit, they have fur suits, like gorilla suits on, and then their heads are like these cone heads and they're all cracked looking and rough and like dark Brown. And then their eyes are just like black around them. And they have these weird little short mouths and kind of like a long skinny nose, kind of a narrow face. Uh And super, super cheesy and corny, but also really bizarre. You know, you could tell it was a movie of the week. We have a spare gorillas, three, you know, three spare gorilla suits from this other movie we did. So that has to be the body and you can come up with a new head. It was, it was something like that for sure. Uh, But it's still very creepy because they, uh, they just look creepy and they, they actually built some oversized sets so they because they're supposed to be you know like what two feet tall or something uh-huh, or maybe uh-huh. maybe shorter than that and um but they built like a bathroom set and, and, and a, a 
That's like that's like too big. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Small. So, yes, yeah, there's, a, there's a, she. I think she's in the shower or in the bath or something, and you see this hand come up, the little demon hand, and it's got a giant coat hanger, like a huge coat <laughs> hanger, and then it goes and it and it switches off a giant light switch. It's like a real prop, <laughs> gigantic. So it makes them look like they're small, but it's so creepy. And they do that a bunch, you know, with this kind of um, oversized sets and. Uh huh. And that, that that totally kicked me back to being at your place and being like, it's a miniature. It's a miniature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was funny. That was a, <laughs> never, never mind that. No one's going to understand that. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, but um, uh, yeah, well, that sounds, I mean, you know, I think the point that maybe partly what we're getting at here is that, at least maybe what we're coming to rather is that, you know, maybe what it is that's scary more is our own imagination of things. And as a kid, we have a, you know, a more powerful imagination, uh, you know, and then as we get older, our, our imagination may not be as powerful. Some of us, mm-hmm. you know, but the movies that feed that fire and that instigate us to engage our imagination have more impact. And they did when we were kids, because yeah. even though it looked cheesy and fake and retarded, <clears throat> Or just weird and hokey, it didn't matter because we were clearly filling in enough details for ourselves to be able to personalize it and be like, this is this is scary. You know what I mean? And so there's that level of imaginal imaginal engagement with that, that that visual dialogue I was talking about, you know, and once you're engaged on that level, your suspension of disbelief drops. And so you're willing to accept a lot mm-hmm. more. You're will, willing well, to as accept a kid, you know, stuff, you know, and as you know, as a kid, you're just, you know, not even less, to that to le- less discerning. <laughs> sure, sure. Kids look at, you know, they like a lot of stuff that's just total crap just because it's whatever. It's got bright colors in it and stuff, but yeah, like um, songs called it tacos. What's that? What? I said, yeah, like songs called training tacos. Kids like really. Oh, ridiculous right, right. <laughs> <laughs> like so we last night I played joy. It's raining men, by the way, off subject, but to get back to my, my pre-roll story about having oh, yeah. celebrations, I played it's raining men for her and she danced. It's pretty exciting. <laughs> that's, that's exciting. That is exciting. Okay. So back to the point, sorry, but you know, I would like to mention a film real quick, if you don't mind. Yeah. One of, one of the films that, and again, I'm not so attached here as to like, shit, I, you know, this was the first horror movie that got me to feel this way. And this is the next one, but more just kind of going through my mind of what the ones that really meant something to me. One of the films that absolutely still holds up today. And to me, that's a big part of good filmmaking is whether that film can continue to hold up in the face of time is silence of the lambs. Silence of the lambs is easily one of the best adaptations of a full feature novel to film, in my opinion, that's ever been done. The only thing that comes anywhere near it is Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption right, by Stephen yeah, King. Yeah, yeah. That was a short story. So to make a short story into a feature film, okay, yeah, that you know that's one thing. But to take a book that has 350 plus pages in yeah, it yeah. and fit that two hours and literally only miss one scene from the book. They missed one scene. Right. That's it. Yeah. That is such solid filmmaking that even without it being a horror film, it's yeah. just, you well, know, that's why it's, drop. that's why it's, you know? it's, it's like the exorcist in that way. It's a good movie on its own, regardless of genre, you know, and, <laughs> and usually the best horror movies. I mean, I never even thought of that as a horror movie, really. I just thought of it as that like kind a of a bit. classic movie, you know, I never really put it in that category, but it, clearly it is. I mean, it's, just so good about a serial serial killers. Yeah. 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 I guess, I guess it's not supernatural horror is, is maybe the the difference, which by the way is, 
that is my preferred genre is supernatural uh, horror. I I'll, I was never really into serial killer horror or anything. I mean, Silence of the Lambs is it really stands great. in the classic. Yeah, episodes. yeah. It now is. you could watch it. And it's just as oh, good yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I want to watch. it. I haven't seen it in a long time, but Such it's yeah, it's amazing. I watch it like at least twice a year. Oh, I yeah, just can't help yeah. myself. Yeah, I'll, I'll watch it again because it's. It, I know it's great. I remember seeing it and it was great. But um, uh oh. So always. Always, I've always been more about the supernatural horror than about like the serial killer stuff. I mean, my exception to the rule is Halloween, but okay. that was supernatural horror. That was it, it, it. There, he, you know, you they couldn't kill him. That yeah, was the right. extra so little thing. Yeah, yeah. And, but that's the closest well, thing. But that's why I, you know, I didn't really, I never got into the Jason stuff. I, I mean, as, as a kid, I was like. This is a, just yeah, a ripoff of Halloween. It was, it's a ripoff. It's so, I mean, as a little kid, I, I could see it was yeah. obviously just a, a quick knockoff. And sure. if you look at the director, um, you know, John Carpenter on Halloween and Steve Miner on Friday the 13th, or was it Sean Cunningham or Steve Miner? It's just that whoever it was is just not talented like Carpenter. Carpenter was right, like right. a genius. He, he a genius. made a, amazing movies, a lot of yeah. them. And then you see that, by other movies that the Friday the Thirteenth people made, and it's well, like, you know how they nothing handled good, it? really. You know how they handled it? They were like, "All right, let's take that knife and make it into a fucking machete, man." Yeah, that, and that's all we got to do. Well, you know? also, it's it, like that's like the make the bigger dick thing. You know what I mean? Because it's yeah, like, but it's, you, but it, like if you lack story and good storytelling, right. then you're just gonna you say, can, "Well, what we talked about before, spectacle." Oh, yeah. we'll just make the knife bigger and yeah. make it bloodier and give it. You know, or no, I mean? it's yeah, it's it's like about showing the gore. That's what those movies are all about: is gore. Which slasher, you know, films. Yeah, and I, I, but and I've I, never been a slasher film fan either. I, I think the reason this is, but let me say, I think that my introspection on you or reflection, anyway insofar as why you're attracted to paranormal films in that you know that genre is because of all the paranormal paranormal activity that you experienced it as a child in your household and it being around you you know what i mean mm -hmm. so you know why why wouldn't you use then those kinds of films to deal with those kinds of energies within yourself and having yeah, been yeah. exposed could, could be i just always it felt more natural to to have a super, get into the supernatural, a, yeah, a, yeah, supernatural or unexplained element. Even Night of the Living Dead, there's no explanation for why they why? turn into zombies. There's speculation that it might be radiation from a, a Venus probe, and it, that <laughs> that comes back down from uh, outer space. But um, they still, you know, never state that that's what it is, and it leaves you, you know, not knowing, which is. I think really that, cool. Yeah, that's about so that. powerful because yeah. then if you could go away anything. from it thinking that could happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. It could, right? Because they don't even know how it happened. Even though you know it's a fake film in your mind, it leaves the question. Yeah. Well, it was never really figured out. So, you know, and then well, late at night when you're laying in bed and it's dark and your eyes are closed and you're getting ready to fall asleep and logic and rationale seem to mean nothing in the face of your imagination. All of a sudden, these these storylines become plausible in our imaginal yeah, realms, yeah. right? And that's when it, that's the fun part. That's the like, oh, fuck, it mm. got under my skin. I mean, I remember watching A Tale of Two sisters i told you about that film already and I, I remember the first time i watched it i was living in the basement at my sister's house actually joy and i just moved back from new jersey and we landed at my sister's place and we watched that film in this basement on this tv from across the room and the whole room was pitch black and after it was over dude 
we had, I walked down to the bathroom and it was like an unfinished basement. And I don't get like this. I had to walk all the way down to the bathroom and it was like this creepy unfinished basement. And it was a long way down this hall. And I was literally looking over my shoulder. I mean, physically, like, you know, even though I knew there was nothing, it was just like it got under my skin. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's powerful because that's rare that that happens. You yeah, know? yeah moved on that level like Stephen King said that the power of terror the sensation yeah I I guess that's I mean why I've always been attracted to supernatural horror because I think supernatural stuff is scarier than serial killer stuff I mean it's scary but it's scary in a different way it's you know it's it's more of a supernatural horror is more of a kind of mysterious scary but even even on a um on a very basic level, you know, when I, when I like a a genre or a movie, I just get a feeling from it, like a good feeling. It makes me feel good. And I never really got the good feeling from stuff that wasn't supernatural horror. And that's probably not a hundred percent true because I'm sure there's some, some stuff that I like that is, is not like Silence of the Lambs, but, um, sure. I always get the good feeling when there's that supernatural element even if it's small you know just a tiny little bit it doesn't have to be much (laughs) just like the uh the the venus probe thing it's like or or not explaining it is is you know that's enough for me well and you know that's one of those tricks again as a filmmaker that that is so hard to do is to explain enough but not too much i mean that's one of those balancing that comes back to to that magic thing it's easy to do too much or not enough. Easy to not you know? say enough. Yeah, you know, you either come away feeling like you watch a David Lynch film or you come away feeling like you watch a Romero film, but it's like it's hard to find that middle ground. Yeah, yeah. You know, now speaking of of serial killer films, although that's not my, you know, now if I were to pick my choice, I would just simply call I would say psychological thrillers. That's my 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 dominant, you know, choice within yeah. that genre because for me, that's what I like is the things that make me think and that disturb my mind, you know, as mm-hmm. opposed to all of the other stuff. But since we're on the topic of serial killer films, one of the best serial killer films ever made is one called Dahmer. And it is about Jeffrey Dahmer. And it's the dude. I can't remember his name ever. He's such a good actor. He was in The Hurt Locker and he played uh, the real cra- crazy man, the kind of cowboy bomb mm-hmm. uh, tech. That's like the crazy guy. That's the white guy. Uh, yeah, he plays. Yeah. Have you seen The Hurt Locker? Mm-hmm. No, oh I still God. haven't seen it. I know, I know. You need to see that. It's so good. Well, I mean, really, I, I, you need I've to seen see it five times. That's you, how good it is. You know I don't watch films over again if they're not. I won't even finish a film if You it's need not to see good. with Nail and I, because I, I watched it, right it like here 50 times. <laughs> that doesn't count. You well, always say that. You, I didn't ask you to watch this film. I was just suggesting that you should <laughs> no, add gonna, it to your repertoire. I absolutely will. I promise you I will. What was the film I was just talking about anyway? I don't know. See, so how are you going to promise me you're going to watch it if you can't even remember what it was? I had to start writing down what I was going to say because I kept forgetting because these (laughs) non sequiturs. Okay, well, let's get back to Dahmer. So the Dahmer (laughs) film, which is the one you were going to remember to watch, is got the dude from The Hurt Locker. No, you're going to watch The Hurt Locker. Well, anyway, I don't care if you watch The Hurt Locker, Locker. but it's a great film. I want to see it. I want to see it. The dude that's in it, the main actor, plays Dahmer, and he does such a good job because here's the thing. If you know the true crime stuff, you expect to see a good rendition that's factual and that actually captures the feel of what it may have been, right? Mm -hmm. That's what you want to see. And so if you know the story, you don't want to see something that's off point. And it's so on point the way that they do that film. And it's one of those films where it's so low budget. You can tell it's like shot on grainy film stock. It's not like it it was, it really went under the radar. It It was before that guy was big. It was early two thousands. It was around the time they did 
did that one called Gacy that is the guy that plays Francis on Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure, plays oh, uh, no. John Wayne I don't even know about that. That one's either. a good one, too, actually. That one's really good, oh. too. Really good, actually. It's just not as good as Dahmer, but it's right up there with it. Yeah, Gacy yeah. and Dahmer are both good ones. But the Dahmer one, man, so disturbing. It's so disturbing because it's he plays the character so well. It, it hmm. like it really gets under your skin oh, because it's right. it's it's a great film. It's another really strong dramatic action film that ultimately occurs more or less in in a very small amount of settings. Right. And this is not a horror film. But last time I mentioned when you we were on the uh, documentary, documentary on the podcast with Tom Baxa to watch tape. And you still need to watch tape. Oh, yeah, that's tape. that one that occurs in one room with right. only like three characters. Okay. Okay. Well, I want to say, um, before we wrap it up, I got to talk about Dawn of the Dead because that was a really okay. big one for me. And although it's not, and I'm talking about the 1978 version, not the terrible remake that I okay. know people like the remake, but I just can't do it. I haven't even been able to sit through the whole thing. I tried twice to watch it and just because like it. Is it because it's not the original? The original no, has no. a place. No, I don't like. I don't like. Do it right. I don't like that director, Zack Snyder. It's, he doesn't mm. do my kind of movies. I mean, I'm just not into it. Like 300 and all these like crazy, just beat beat you over the head with fancy camera work and stuff. It's just not my really my thing. That's so true. I just and I don't I didn't like the running zombies. There was a lot of things I didn't like about it. I didn't like the baby zombie. I thought it was stupid and just. <laughs> It's like it had, it felt like it to me, it had a, um, its intentions were not good. Oh, okay. <laughs> Almost okay. like it, like it's like more mean spirited. Whereas Dawn of the Dead, even though it's got a lot of black humor, you just get a feeling that there's a moral compass within the film. Okay. You, know, you yeah, kind of yeah, get I that feeling. And then, other ones just seem like like that Dawn of the Dead just seemed like it was just I don't know seemed like it was trying to be uh, trying too hard to be extreme and I'm not into just extreme for extreme sake I think that is like so lame so anyway beside that's beside the point but um so the original 1978 Dawn of the Dead it's funny because it's it has doesn't have a ton of horror in it it's more of like a an action black comedy in a weird way with you is know is that the one with the mall yeah yeah okay yeah. cuz i've seen the original and i've seen the remake actually of yeah. that oddly enough even though i don't normally yeah. watch remakes so i can compare those because yeah i do remember it being kind of slapstick yeah the old yeah school yeah book. it was like it was you know they said it was like a comic book that was kind of the intention yeah it has that feeling like yeah. they ripped that guy in half or whatever yeah, that, that yeah, gag yeah. such a great gag yeah you know? and just like the bikers that come in and you know, mess up their whole thing. And it's just the idea oh, of yeah. having a whole mall to yourself is so fun, you know, and they get to go it and is. like get all the food they want and whatever. And they, you know, they make this mall, their, their house or their place of residence. But, um, you know, the, the horror is really in the first few minutes of that movie. Um, it starts off with them in a newsroom, like in the newsroom going crazy because society is falling apart and people are just like leaving and saying, fuck this. And these two guys on TV are like these talking heads that are just arguing over how to handle the problem. So it's really gives a great uh, stressful feeling that this is kind of what it would be like if, you know, if society started falling apart, like fast, like government agencies. So it's believable, right? Yeah, away, yeah. You it's got that same, like, oh, this might be, okay. Yeah, yeah. And even though it's got, it's low, but it, it's like an epic film. They, sh 
it's it's really epic. They couldn't even make that movie today because they used a real mall. Um, yeah, right. And wow. this is in the seventies. Yeah, and they had bikers driving around the mall, and <laughs> so you know, and just blood and splattering on windows and stuff. So it was like you know, it's just something that you couldn't really do nowadays. But um, some of the acting is, you know, it's low budget. You can tell some of it. Um, but in the beginning, you know, it's so uh, creepy when they they it's these SWAT guys going into like uh, the projects. And so, mm -hmm. you know, these, you know, the premise is these people who live in the projects don't want to give their dead up. So they don't want to let they're, they're keeping their dead in the basement. And uh, so okay. it's, it's martial law has been declared. So you got these um, SWAT guys just saying, okay, you know, we'll, we'll, we won't do anything. Just have your people come out peacefully and, um, they end up having to storm the building and, you know, there's like gunfire and stuff, but then they, they start going into different rooms and there's like, you know, a body on the ground with no head and one hand. And it's just a, a thing of blood and it's all shot again, this, the lighting's kind of flat. It, 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 it's, it looks realistic. You know, it looks creepy. Are probably sh and are they shooting it like verite? So it's like handheld no, and it's no, got that like, no, 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 it's not. No. It's, it's, okay. it's just got the, the feeling of it. Um, just has more of a gritty documentary feel in, in a lot of ways. Uh, mm -hmm. Also this weird, it's got a low budget feeling. So it's kind of got this, I don't know, this kind of gross feeling sometimes just, you know, you could tell they shot it in the projects and it's like really, you know, crumbling walls. Feels it's, like that. Yeah. And it's painted like this mint green color in the rooms. And so, I mean, it, it, right within the first few minutes, you know, this one SWAT guy goes crazy and busts a door down and just shoots a shotgun. He's like this racist, crazy, like he, like he went insane because of the pressure and he just shoots this, blows this guy's head apart. And it's, uh -huh. and it happens like, boom, you just don't expect it. It's like, it totally <laughs> hits you in the gut. It's like all this chaos is going and then boom, a door opens and then boom, the first ever exploding head on camera. No one had uh, ever okay. seen that before. They'd never done it as far as I know, where it was just like a graphic blood, you know, going everywhere. Sure. I mean, scanners, scanners did it, but I think scanners Sc was after Cronenberg. Yeah. And I think scanners is after that. Yeah. Cause this, this was 78, but anyway, um, and there's just a lot of scenes there's a guy with no foot, like they got an amputee and just the way they dressed them all. Like it just seemed realistic and creepy. And the, and the zombies are like, you know, he, this one woman goes and hugs her husband in the chaos. And he just like takes a big chunk out of her forearm. And it, you'd never seen that before in a movie. Yeah. Yeah. And then she, yeah. he takes a big chunk out of her shoulder and it's just total close up, total gross out. Yeah. Um, but really kind of real looking and it, and it was just shocking. So well, I remember the color of the blood yeah, in that yeah. particular film was, was like, it was brighter than totally. you were used to yeah, seeing. Yeah. It looked more like, honestly, it looked more like paint, like poster paint, it, like, like tempera paint. Yeah, almost. Like but tempera it's the same paint, thing yeah. is like somehow that made it seem, I don't know why, but that made it seem more real. Yeah, why is that? I don't know that, that, that he talks about that, you know, cause I've, at this point I've seen all the, bonus features and all the, so I'm not, I'm not crazy. No, no, but no. I think, uh, no, no, no. They, they talk about it and, and it, it's a mistake. They use this blood from a company called three M's how much of a nerd I am. And, uh, it's, it was like a stage blood. So it wasn't nece necessarily suitable for, um, film work. And uh, so okay. some shots, it looks okay, but most shots, it looks like 
poster paint. And, um, you know, and then George Romero's attitude was, you know, I, you know, I kind of think it works because the whole thing is a little bit over the top and, and, Garish, and a little, yeah. a, a little more like a comic book. So it kind of, you know, helps the vibe and it does somehow work. You know, you get the yeah, idea it that it's blood and it's usually like chunky blood when they get shot. But yeah, it's it's eerie. <laughs> Something about it this is weird, you know. Yeah. Well, and they also do the big gushers too, where there's more blood coming out than you really would like expect from the kind right. of wounds you're seeing too, <laughs> which really gives you this like, oh my gosh, yeah. like wow, if that happened, geez, you know, because you most people haven't seen any of these things really occur in real life, so they have no bearing well, or basis and for comparison. It's like how much blood pours out of a person yeah. when their arm is ripped off. So when someone's faking that and they've got this, you know, a huge right. hose they're pumping that <laughs> stuff out, it really does kind of make you feel like, wow, I wonder if it really is like yeah. that. And know? again, and again, it's context. Cause that movie came out in 75 and there had, I don't think there had been anything that graphic other than the, um, Herschel Gordon Lewis movies. Do you know, Herschel Gordon Lewis? That name sounds so familiar, made, man. Was were those all the ones that were made in like uh, other countries, and they're yeah, all like real, really bad, like in Cambodia? Really? Oh, they're so bad. They're so bad. They're great, like amazing. Okay. Um, because they're terrible. Like the they're not. They almost don't even qualify as a movie. They're so bad. <laughs> they're so cannibal headhunters. So bad. So bad. But um, the whole thing was they were the original uh slasher films or the original gore movies that happened in the eighties. This was, I think in the late sixties and they uh -huh. were shot in color and every thing, every one of them was about either a, a killer that's killing people or, you know, a town of crazy people is another one called 2000 maniacs where, where they get these girls and torture them and just dis disembowel them. And, uh, the Wizard of Gore, where there's a magician who who like kills people uh, in these like magical, like in his magic act. So oh, it's like wow. he'll actually so saw the woman in half, and they just sh it's all about showing the gore shot. The whole movie yeah. is is it's the classic. No, it's like a porno movie, but instead of sex scenes, there's violent scenes. Yeah, you know? yeah. like that bad. Yeah. It's ba as bad as a porno, and that that like cheesy and cheap. Yeah, you know. So yeah. and um uh. So they would have, you know, pig guts. They'd have a guy like kill a girl and pull his eyeball, pull her eyeball out. And it was pretty bad effects, but, and they would use mannequins for things, but super violent and gory, but they were so, they were like grindhouse films. So they were not yeah. really as mainstream. I think Dawn of the Dead was a slightly more, it was more a mainstream film than the, than the Herschel Gordon Lewis stuff. But, um, so it's probably the, first time kind of a regular movie they got in regular theaters had that kind of sure. violence in it sure yeah and it, it, well, and, and it wouldn't they it didn't have an x or an r rating they they um they let it go unrated because they wanted them to cut it cut some of the gore out and they would yeah. give it an r rating yeah. but um they they didn't they stuck to their guns and thought that you know the violence is part of what makes this movie great and so they just right. they they said okay we'll release it but with no rating which means mm -hmm. you can't get in advertising everywhere because having yeah. no rating is basically like having an like you're a porno like an x rating so yeah. there was like a lot of uh well and that and actually i was going to bring up that's what happened with the hills have eyes you know and that's like that's the same kind of deal you know or like texas chainsaw massacre mm -hmm. you talk about some of these films that were landmark it's like the hills have eyes was totally landmark and it was the same yeah. deal where it was like we don't even know what to do with this film because it's pushing the envelope so yeah. far we can't even classify it you know mm -hmm. yeah yeah 
That's one I haven't seen in so long. I, I can it's barely so remember. It's so cheesy if you watch it now. Yeah, I gotta again. see like, it now. I mean, the no, no, don't get me wrong. The dramatic action in it is still solid because they're dealing with really. It's really the the story itself is pretty horrific subject matter. Yeah. But the it's the the family of of uh you know cannibals these people that live in the hills. Mm-hmm. They dude they they the costume the costuming yeah. is so fucking bad. It's oh, really? so bad. Oh, the props <laughs> and their whole that whole part of it is so bad. It's so poorly done that it's laughable, you wow. know. But the idea behind the film is so good, and those scenes, the the really scary scenes. I don't want to blow it for anybody. There, there's some very specifically scary scenes, and you know those are really what made that film. But the other thing that's funny about it is, is like the you know the the, uh, the costumes for the family are terrible too. Like the one guy, he's wearing these like Daisy Duke shorts, like straight up Dukes of Hazard <laughs> shorts. But it's he's a guy, you know, because yeah. it was that era. <laughs> so it's like just booty and dick, you know. And it's so and the camera's right on him, you know. And it's just like all this leg, you know, really big hairy manly legs, you know, mm, and like <laughs> low top tennis shoes yeah. because it was that era again, you yeah, know. Yeah. And that was the way that things were costumed, and they were like on a summer trip. Well, the it was, desert, you know, riding yeah. a camper. You it was know what super, I mean? It was a, it was a B movie. You know, it was a low budget totally a B movie, movie. So, but I, but you know, they uh, remade that film, and while I'm not a big fan of remakes, the remake of that film, they actually did a pretty good job uh, of taking it to the level that it could have been oh, cool. had they the budget back in the day, and that's rare. I find that rare. Yeah, anyway. yeah. Well, you got to mention, you know, we have to mention um, since it came up, and it deserves a mention is uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I watched yeah, that one. Say that. Yeah, and I watched that one recently, and it absolutely holds up. The only thing that's flawed about it, I think the acting was all good. Everything was pretty much spot on, except the um, <clears throat> the old grandfather's makeup, the mm. prosthetic makeup. But again, like the poster paint looking blood, it adds to the creepiness because it's it's still very disturbing. It just doesn't look yeah. real. It's like I know what you mean. Yeah, it's it like, looks almost like you're. Looks you're like a mask at, or something. Yeah, it looks like he's wearing a mask. Yeah, yeah I would say so. But everything. But then you start thinking maybe he is. Maybe he's wearing some yeah. person's face. <laughs> That's you true. know, I mean, because that works right for right, that film. Right. Well, the other one that we got to mention too, because I know we're running out of time here, is The Shining. Oh, because yeah, yeah. I mean, come on, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining is again one of those films that, while it diverged dramatically from the book itself. Right. It is a piece of art unto itself and absolutely yeah, it, it trans- a psychological thriller. <laughs> it I definitely mean, and, and intense. transcends the genre for sure. It's one totally. of those movies that transcends the genre. Yeah, I, I, when it first came out, I wasn't a huge fan of it until I got older and became a huge uh, Kubrick fan. Uh, and then I kind of went back and realized, you know, and it's more of, it is a little more adult than most horror movies, sure. I think. So yeah. it was kind of slow for me when it came out. Cause I saw it in the theater and I was a kid. Uh, but you know, now yeah. I love that. I love that. It's like, I love the slowness of it. You know, it's, it's creepy. It sets up the, an atmosphere. Oh yeah. You know? And you don't get to the first gag really until Danny has his blackout in the bathroom. Right. And that's a long way into the movie. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? It's, yeah. You have to wait a long time for that to occur, you know? And it, it's very paced, but you're right that, you know, I remember what I remember. This is a cute story around the shining. So a sophomore year in high school, get invited to Sadie 
Hawkins dance by this girl. And we kind of strike up a mild relationship. And that Halloween, I go over and hang out at her house with her and her friend. And we watch horror movies. And I save The Shining for the end because I'm like, this is the best horror movie you will ever see. And I have never seen two people more bored to tears. And they're fun. <laughs> I mean, they were like, I, they gave me shit about that for weeks. They were like, oh, yeah, best horror movie ever. It's going to be the slowest horror movie yeah. ever. You know, they just like couldn't hang that's because, hilarious. you know, like you said, there's this energy and atmosphere that's being built through the yeah. predominantly through the music. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and then the and camera, the long, you know, yeah, slow camera hands. work and, you know, yeah, they the. You know, they were probably expecting the uh, woman in the bathtub scene, you know, every 15 minutes because that's like kind of really scary, creepy. Uh, yeah. Move, but uh, that's it's like, you know, a little more horror ish, less psychological. Yeah, and more, you know, yeah, yeah, it is. But still, it's 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 so creepy. Um they show it to you for sure. And you're like, Oh wow. Yeah, that yeah. really does probably look like what it would look like. Yeah, and that is yeah. what's so gross about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It looks very, very real. So I mean, speaking, you know, speaking of it, I'm sorry, I'm going to take it one more back to the sounds of the lambs, but cause dead bodies in bathtubs, there's a scene at the end. Cause you're going to watch sounds of the lambs again. There's a scene at the end where she's in his, his downstairs dungeon layer and she's yeah. going around and there's a scene of a bathtub which she turns on a light and it looks like a body that's been decomposing in this bathtub, mm. but it looks like it's been decomposing in this bathtub for like 10 years. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like the bathtub is like, it basically looks like sludge with like hair coming out of it. And it is one of the most disturbing things wow. I've ever seen in horror film history. And it's not, you can't even identify what you're looking at. It's just your mind tells you what's underneath yeah. this. You're like, oh God, it's like, you can almost taste it. Yeah. It's putrid. It's so gross. It. You know? yeah. yeah. Very good. Very well done. You know, well, you know, there's we got to wrap it up so we could go on and on about horror movies. And I'm sure after we're going to be like, oh, how did we not bring that up? How did we not bring that up? So, you know, if people like it, maybe we'll do another one in the future and hit everything we haven't hit. But um, this was fun. And uh, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And thank you for uh, supporting the Patreon. And we do have the, the new feature of the early release of the podcast if you join for a buck you can get it a day early for the most part and yep. uh and get your name in the credits and for three dollars you can now be on discord for the, oh, yeah. the discord society discord server which is pretty cool and that's gonna and be last but not cool. least i like to paint monsters is renting right now for 99 cents on itunes oh just and over we, a week left or a couple yeah. of weeks yeah, I think, it, I think it's till like the 6th or 7th of July. I'll have to look. But nevertheless, we're running out of time. So, again, please do rent it and take an opportunity to watch it or rewatch it. Share it with somebody who hasn't seen it. Um, or, like I said, just watch it again because that really does, that $1 in that viewing really actually makes a significant difference on this little campaign yeah. we're doing to try to put ourselves farther here into the domain of Netflix and some of these other bigger carriers. Yeah, you know, someone, uh, this guy I, I'm um, doing this film project with he suggested and we talked about this before um seeing if shutter would carry it yeah and i remember talking about yeah, that yeah and um he's like i know the guy and he, that guy was there we met him because remember shutter at ithaca yeah, i remember at ithaca yeah ithaca and they were like Fantastic they were they were um sponsors so i remember yep. meeting the guy so we might have it in there and it would be cool yeah, well, to see how many you know if we got a lot of uh rentals if you could yeah, check love check that. maybe with mark and and see, but um, 
Yeah, it's still not showing up on my iTunes when I when I go to search the 99 cent rentals. It's just like, I don't know. I don't know what to say. It's so sad. But well, anyway. you know, I all I can say is is that I don't I don't get to have any involvement in how any of that works. Oh, yeah, and so yeah, it kind of hamstrings me from being able to do some of my because I can do some magic when it comes to certain things, but there are certain things that once you've signed something, it's that's the end game. So yeah, you, you yeah. don't have leverage left, you know. I can't go I can't go rogue style here. I'd love to. I want you know I wonder just this last thing. I've been wondering about this. I wonder, do you think it would have been better to do the Kickstarters for that movie at selling the DVDs and making them ourselves? No. You don't think so? No. Why not? Well, I think, it's a, I think there's a complex because, answer well, let, let there me say, that doesn't belong at the end of the podcast. Well, let, let's listen. Uh, most people who see this movie are people that are fans. I don't, it's not like, I don't see this movie as some someone who's not a fan seeing it anywhere because you can't find it anywhere and, and going oh and 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 seeing the movie and then becoming a fan it's more well, like it's well, so so it's like since we are since it's the people that are watching it are like our people we could have just sold dvds and probably maybe get the same amount of views possibly just because we don't have any way to optimize our search engine power within the iTunes platform doesn't mean that our association with the distribution company and the way that That's things true, were set yeah, up yeah. doesn't allow us greater uh, search engine no, optimization yeah. insofar. Hold on. Insofar as Google is concerned, because really what we're looking for is not someone that's going to go onto iTunes and it's going to pass and, and find it, but someone that's going to find it while they're just on the internet searching Google for whatever. And then they're going to find it that way, which will lead them okay, to the eventual yeah. platform of itunes you see what i'm saying that's true that's true yeah and you know there's other good things about going the way we did because you know they're cool and it's cool to you know know a distribution company and have a relationship with the distribution company and not only that but think about this are the trailer for our documentary is on on other dvds that have other films at the beginning just like if you buy a buy a dvd you watch those little trailers we have a trailer at the beginning of other films so they're promoting us through their oh, wheelhouse cool. cool. you know and they yeah. have it they have a big mailing list so yeah so there are other benefits to it for sure i mean i, I hear where you're coming from i just I was wondering know, the other day i was just like yeah. yeah i think it was the right decision yeah yeah and i think going forward were i to be in the same situation again i would probably broker it a bit differently but that's because i have experience now you know that was my first my first rodeo and as, it's more as it's, that was concerned it's more respectable it's kind of like getting to show in a gallery even though you may not necessarily yeah you got to cut your teeth first. yeah yeah you got to and having having you know you got a distribution deal with a legitimate distributor and that's good yep. for your filmmaking career. And you know. well, and think of, think about it this way: you know, if we had done it through Kickstarter and and made that money, we would have only been able to make however many, and then that would have been that. Right. Whereas now, it's like you can anytime you need DVDs. That's what true. do you got to do? Bam, you got okay, DVDs. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. I was just I I didn't you know I was totally just throwing it out there as a, a devil's well if you want to watch it some people do classify i like to paint monsters as a horror film so that would be a good way to anthologize and and be a memento to this experience of well, listening to this episode yes and <laughs> well the, the reason we uh, he suggested it on shutters because there's like the friday the 13th documentary and a uh hellraiser documentary and a freddy krueger documentary and okay. or uh you know a friday the 13th documentary so they do have like a it's enough. I think it's related enough. 
Yeah, I think that I, I I'll just hit up our distribution company because I'm sure they'd be interested in trying. Yeah. They probably just haven't thought of it because they're they right. deal with stuff that is less along the fringe where you yeah, and I yeah. lie with our material. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, and he's I, like I, one of the, I remember him telling me one of the things that really attracted me to your film was the name of it. I mean, wow, what an interesting name. He really liked <laughs> he really liked the name. I like oh, Fate Monsters. You know, they really and that was your choice, of course. You know, but that was part of it because it was so atypical because what they right. normally see and get yeah, pandered like, to is normal stuff. Yeah, you know? and, and more highbrow, maybe a little more way art, more arty and, and 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 they uh, went out on a limb for us actually, and yeah. so I, it's it's fun. It's fun that we've had this opportunity. Yeah, no, anyway, cool. this cool. fuck all to do with the topic. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we don't have to read any names, or I, I guess did it at the beginning. Patreon.com slash Dark Art Society, Dark Art Society and or slash Chedzar. Yeah. And uh, for mine, and then Mike's, which is Patreon.com forward slash emails from infinity, as well as Patreon.com forward slash Land of Enchantment Tours. Yeah, everyone's getting on Patreon. I see more and more people on there. G- Gabe Leonard has a, is doing one, starting one. Oh, I see. Spartan. Yeah, I see a bunch of people too that, that are into it. So yeah, it's cool. Yeah, people oh, need to do that. One last thing, and then that's it. Uh, you got Paul's Kickstarter. That's like how many days left? Oh yeah, Paul. Shit. By the time that this episode happens, it'll be down to like probably three or four days. Yeah, and it's um, it's and it's so close. Yeah. I mean, right now we're this is early, of course, guys, because you're not going to hear this till next Tuesday. But it, right now it's eight days left and sixty five percent, and it's it's so it's really it's cranking along. But we really. I would love to see this thing happen. I know yeah. that Chet would too. And uh, we've all been working diligently on it. So yeah, everybody wants the thing and they only get the thing if the money happens. So yeah, if you guys don't mind going over at least to watch some of the chapter videos and check it out, it's it's really an exciting project and we're totally behind it. Thank you. I appreciate you bringing that up. I had forgotten. Yeah. I got do, all they wrapped know, up do, they know, do they know what we're talking about? Yeah, the Rivals Kickstarter for Paul Gerard. He had an episode. We just had yeah, an episode okay. with him. So if you're wondering, you can always go back to the Paul Gerard yeah, we can episode put a link of the Dark it. Art Society podcasting. There will be a link to his Kickstarter here with the links to our Patreons and the 99 cent rental for iTunes on the description for this episode on SoundCloud. Right. Oh, one last, last thing. Oh and my I God. promise, I promise that's it. <laughs> this is a long one. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, I'm having a sale. I need a car. I'm having yeah. a big sale in my store, my web store, chetzar.bigcartel.com, and it's on for the rest of the month, and I'm doing the $50 sketches, which are crazy, and I'm going to regret it in the morning, but, uh, you know, it's it's a good deal. You know, it's a killer way to get an original for really cheap and um, helps me get a car. My car's about to die, so, um, yeah, if you could uh, check that out, that would be cool. Yeah, you got to check it out because Chet really does these crazy, ridiculous sales. And I got half price, eight by 10 open edition prints. I have other stuff on sale as well. He he is ridiculous when it comes to doing these things. So yeah, check it out. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. We appreciate all your support and we will catch you guys next week on the Dark Art Society podcast. All right. See you later. Peace.